Good morning. Glad to see you in church this morning. We're so happy that you're here. You can stand with us if you'd like while we worship. I'm going to open us in prayer really quickly. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. We just thank you for every person who's here and everyone that's watching online. Lord, every person who's come in this moment to worship you. We thank you, God, for your goodness, for who you are. That's why we're here. Your word says, because you first loved us, we were able then to love. So God, I just ask this morning that you would fill us with your love, that we would receive your love for us this morning, God, that would then enable us to love you more and to love each other. God, I thank you for this opportunity to come together as one, one body, with one purpose, just to seek you, God, seek your face. We know that you're here among us. We just honor you this morning. We're here for you. Not for our own reasons. We set those aside. Our own agendas. Because maybe we feel obligated. Or maybe because this is just what we do. But we choose God to focus our hearts on you. And we choose to come before you this morning willingly. With the sole focus. Just loving you. Worshiping you. Amen.
Also an entire chapter of Psalms, but this one's only two verses. So don't get freaked out. It says, praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Amen. Oh. 
continue in an attitude of worship as we continue to pray this morning and worship the God who is good, who is a miracle worker, who moves in our midst even when we don't see it or feel it. You may be seated if you'd like this morning, but please don't move out of a posture of worship and prayer. God, we just remain open to you as you continue to move in our midst. And God, we don't rush past this moment where you are speaking to us, Lord. You are encouraging us, God. You are meeting us where we are. And God, we just want to ask for you to continue to do that this morning, Lord. God, this time of prayer is important because we are we are recentering ourselves on the truth of your word and the truth of who you are, regardless of how we feel. God, we recognize this morning that song is such a good reminder for us that we can really get caught up in our feelings and in our emotions, and it's so easy, God, it's so easy to take our eyes off of you and what you are doing and how you are working and moving and instead just focus on what we're feeling or what we're not feeling. God, it's easy to, it's easy to focus on everything that's going wrong around us. It's easy to focus on everything in our lives that's not going right. It's easy to stress about the unknown. It's easy to become fixated on what we don't have. Lord, it's easy to to sit and stew in the problems that are all around us. Lord, it's easy to feel frustrated and angry with each other. But God, what we are here to do this morning is to fix our eyes on you, to fix our gaze on you. God, as we seek to find the ways in which you are moving and working in our lives, in our hearts, in this congregation, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our nation, and in our world. God, that's what we seek this morning. God, for a moment, we, we take our eyes off of the things of this world, the problems, the stuff, the distractions. We fix our gaze on you. God, we invite you. Now that we've done the work of pushing all of that aside, God, we invite you to speak to our hearts this morning. God, we wait for you to meet us here in this moment to remind us of your goodness 
of your mercy. God, this morning we are looking for your grace. A grace that meets us where we are in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our shortcomings. But it's a grace that that mends broken relationships. It's a grace that reunites us with one another. It's a grace that reconciles us to our brother and our sister. God, this morning, with our eyes fixed on you, we wait for you and we look for your forgiveness. God, we recognize the ways that we fall short. We seek your mercy and your forgiveness as you continue to make us new. As you help us, Lord, to look more like you. God, we confess the ways that we fail on a regular basis. God, we seek your mercy and your forgiveness and your grace as you continue to mold us and shape us. Lord, this morning we wait for you. God, we just ask that you be with all of those who are in the midst of an unknown, whatever that might be. Maybe it's a a diagnosis, waiting on a diagnosis. Maybe it's, it's a situation where there's a lot going on around us and we just don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe for some there's an unknown, there's there, there's those who are moving and transitioning, and there's, there's the fear and the stress and the unknown that comes with those transitions, Lord. God, we wait for you to remind us that you are with us always, and that while the things around us may change, you never do. You stay the same. You are our rock. God, would you just draw near to us this morning? God, meet each and every one of us right where we are. Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us through your word? God, as we continue to seek your guidance and your direction and your vision, Lord, would you just mold us and shape us through the teaching of your word? God, help us to have open hearts. Help us to have ears that listen, eyes that see. Lord, this morning we just thank you. We thank you for being our Lord, our God who loves us. We thank you, God, that you never change and that you are always present, always And for some of us, we are declaring that this morning, even if we don't feel it or see it. God, you are always there. You never leave us or forsake us. And for that, we are grateful. We are grateful and we love you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand back up with me this morning as we read our passage. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12 today, reading verses 1 through 17. 
It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter, sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter sent his angel and rescued... Sorry. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. This is the word of the Lord this morning, friends. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I don't know when the last time was that you read this passage. It's been a little while for me before this week, but uh, we're reminded that this is kind of one of those wow moments in Scripture, right? Every now and then you're just brought back to a, one of those moments that just make you say, wow, it's one of those miraculous moments that you just can't even imagine or picture, uh, probably because most of us have never really seen anything like this happen, right? But this is one of those amazing moments that we read about in the life of of the early church. Today, we are on week four of this series that we are in called Praying Our Way to Pentecost. And we are spending time in intentional and focused prayer as we are seeking God's direction. We are seeking God's revelation. We're seeking his guidance. We're seeking his provision. 
And we are praying for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit as we continue to do the work of the church. This is hard, long work that we're doing, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would just fall fresh upon us and revitalize us as we continue to do the work of the church, as we continue to look for the ways that God is active in the world around us. This is a time where we pause and we recognize don't, don't, don't miss this. We're recognizing this morning that you and I, the church, we are utterly dependent upon God. We recognize this morning we can't do any of this without God's help. We are utterly dependent upon God and his guidance and his direction. We need his strength as we seek to do his work. We're looking for the ways in which the kingdom of God is already at work around us, and it's only through God's help that we're going to be able to see what that is so that we can participate in that kingdom work. And so as we spend time in focused and intentional prayer, I want to identify that it can at times be challenging and difficult to to sense when God is responding. Sometimes it can be challenging to know when to kind of pause from the praying and, and start doing something, right? Sometimes it can be difficult for us to notice when God is meeting our prayers, when God is meeting our needs and he's calling us to respond. It's really easy to miss that sometimes. And that's one of the many things we see in this passage. Did you catch when that happened? We'll, we'll kind of unpack it again, but, but it can be really easy to miss when God has met our prayers. And so in this passage, we have Peter. You need to kind of recognize the gravity of the situation, right? You have Peter, who is still probably very much seen as the rock of the early church. He is a key leader in the early church, and here he sits in prison. And one of the tensions of this passage, we won't pretend it's not there. We acknowledge it. We experience this tension in our life all the time, this tension of of knowing what happened to James, one of the disciples, right? James has already been killed by Herod. This is Herod Agrippa. James has already been killed, and now here sits Peter in prison, and it's not looking good, right? The church is for sure, the early church is for sure holding this tension of James's death and now Peter's uh, imprisonment and an upcoming trial, and, and they're probably not feeling too good and hopeful about that, right? There's a lot of... Uh, of, of of tension here as we pause and recognize that this would have been a grim situation for the early church. And as I thought about that this week, as I thought about this this grim, and that's kind of saying it lightly, but this is an overwhelming situation, right, for the early church. And as I thought about that this week, as I thought about this, this grim, heavy situation, it makes me wonder, what is our grim situation, in other words, what is it that, that we are seeing going on around us, the church? And what are we looking at and saying, ooh, that just doesn't look good? Oh, or ooh, I don't feel very hopeful about that. Or wow, this feels overwhelming and it looks a little bit grim. What would that be for us? Now, it's important that we recognize that whatever that is for us, that's not the same as what we're reading about here, right? This is a different situation. This might be someone's situation in the world, but it's not our situation. We recognize that we're not facing this kind of persecution in this moment that Peter is facing, 
That's not our context today. But what is, as we're trying to relate to to the facing of, of a grim situation, what might that be for us? Think about that for just a moment. And if I were to kind of poll all of us in the room, we might have different ideas about what the grim situation might be, right? My, my idea of what the grim situation is for the church is maybe not the same as yours, right? For some of us, maybe it's this intense culture war that we've been fighting, that the church has been fighting with the culture for years and years, and it just doesn't seem to be getting any better, If that's what it is for you, then tune in next week, because we're going to unpack that a little bit more next week. For some of you, maybe it's more of what we talked about last week. Maybe you're still wrestling with that, with this idea that the church just doesn't look anything like it used to, and we've lost some traditions that you've held dear. And for some of you, that's challenging and difficult, and it just it's hard for you to see that as anything other than good. Maybe for some of you, that's the grim situation. For many of us, and whether, this is, whether or not this is what came to mind, I, I think we could all agree that for many of us, it could just be the overall decline we've seen in the church over the past several years, over the past decade, for instance, right? There is a decline. A lot of local churches see that in their own context. This decline was happening well before COVID, and COVID only accelerated it. COVID only added to the issue, but this was already happening, it just kind of exploded in the past two years, right? But, but research shows that this is true. In fact, I was reading this week that there was this poll done by Pew Research in 2021, and it shows, it shows what we've all been seeing, that the U.S. Christian population has steadily been declining in the past decade. Over the past 10 years, we've just seen this decline. They report that today, 63% of Americans would describe themselves as Christian, which is down from 75% that was reported a decade ago. Those who identify with non-Christian faiths, those who might hold to a faith, but it's not a Christian faith or belief, that's holding steady at 6%. But those who share this view of secularism, those secular Americans, that is actually up by 10%. And if if we think about that long enough, and if we kind of look around and see how that's impacted our local churches, that could feel pretty overwhelming, right? And that could feel pretty grim. In fact, I think that's been the center of a lot of conversations over the past several years is just this overwhelming feeling of what's happening to the church, right? Where's everybody going? Regardless of what the grim situation might be for you this morning, I want to ask, what are we doing about that? What's our response as we might identify a situation that doesn't feel very promising or a situation that might feel a little bit overwhelming or disheartening? What are we doing? How are we responding to that? Are we kind of panicking? Are we panicking and kind of hunkering down and just waiting for it all to just kind of hit the fan, right? What are we doing? Are we unplugging because it just seems so hopeless and it's just, you know, it's kind of that apocalyptic mindset of God, only you can fix this by coming back and taking us all home. That's the only way this is going to get better. Or are we praying and, and experiencing God's peace as we continue to seek his guidance and direction, knowing that God is not 
finished yet. And in this passage, even though this is an overwhelming situation, it feels really grim, the church does not seem to be panicking. Luke doesn't mention their panic, but instead they are faithfully praying, knowing James' reality, right? Knowing that James has, James's life has been lost, but the church doesn't seem to be panicking. They are, are simply praying, and they seem to be at peace, and no one demonstrates that peace better than Peter, who is sleeping in his prison cell the night before his trial. It's got a little bit of a Paul ring to it, right? But in all circumstances, I, I think of, I consider it joy. This is crazy that Peter is at so much at peace, it would seem that he is sleeping in his jail cell the night before his trial. And this is interesting to me because I, I think back to a time when Peter and the other disciples, but Peter included, had a much different response in the midst of a troubling situation. I thought this week about Luke chapter 8. Right When Jesus is in the boat with the disciples in this storm, this unexpected storm moves in, and all of a sudden the disciples are panicking. They are freaking out, rightfully so. I think I would be too. And they're panicking, and they're looking for Jesus, and they find Jesus, and he's sleeping peacefully in the midst of the storm. And the disciples go to him, and they say, Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? Can't you see we're going to drown? help us. And Jesus kind of responds with with a little bit of a challenge, asking them, hey, where is your faith? And I just think that it's really interesting that, that, that we see how Peter has grown, right? We see that Peter has grown, and in this moment, he is sleeping peacefully. And the church is praying. And as the church is praying, they're praying for God to do the impossible. They're probably praying, thinking, God, I know this, this, this feels impossible. And God, I know that it didn't work out this way for James, although I'm sure they were praying for James. But God, we are asking you to, to do the impossible. God, we're asking you once again, even though this feels overwhelming, this, this feels like it's not going to end well, but God, we're going to pray anyways, asking you to do the impossible. And not only does God do the impossible by bringing the church through this, by allowing Peter to peacefully sleep, but God does move, doesn't he? We see once again that God hears his people, that God listens to their cries, and that God responds and does the impossible again. He moves, he hears, he listens, and he responds. And then Peter, as we read through the story, Peter at one moment realizes. He has this amazing realization where this wasn't a dream. It was God really doing the impossible. And that is, once again, God is thwarting human attempts to hinder God's purposes. And he rescues Peter from the hand of Herod. Well, this made me think of another passage in scripture. You know, sometimes it's just good to remember, right? That's just an added bonus today that sometimes it's just good to remember, to remember how God has moved in the past. That way, when, when there's moments where it's like, I don't feel like you're working, I don't see you working, that's when you get to remember and recall. And so we recall in Exodus chapter 3, this story actually has a lot of, of moments where it feels very similar to an Exodus situation. In Exodus 
chapter 3, verse 8, we read that God says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Rescues Peter from the hand of Herod. I've come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, these situations aren't that different. It's the same situation, different people, right? Pharaoh and Herod are very similar. They're both seeking to hold their power, to hold on to their power by any means necessary, and they get rid of anyone who stands in their way. And the problem is, is you're messing with God's people and God's overall purposes, and God will not allow the powers of the world to interfere with the weak and the poor and the lowly and the marginalized and the faithful from being rescued because God doesn't forget his people. God will not forget his people. And make no mistake, I I get it. His ways, they may not always be predictable, right? Sometimes we're surprised how God does what he does and why God does what he does. And we don't always understand it, but his kingdom will continue to move in. God will continue to work and God will continue to meet the needs of his people and no power or authority on earth will prevent this from happening even when it seems grim and hopeless. See, when we pray, when we take time to intentionally pray, which is what we're doing, that's the call, right? The call is for the church in USA and Canada, for the, from the church of the Nazarene, we have been challenged and called to set aside a time for faithful and intentional prayer as we seek God's guidance and direction and provision. While we pray, we remain confident in this truth that, that I just shared. We pray confident that this is the God who hears us. I like how one scholar, he was the one that kind of pointed out this Exodus moment that we see in this passage, and he says, the God of the Exodus has the power to deliver God's people from any bondage and overcome any opposition to God's purposes as vividly witnessed in Jesus' resurrection, right? This is not to say that the church should become passive towards society and its story about reality, but it does mean that the church should respond faithfully in the midst of society as those who recognize and believe that God is truly the Lord of all creation who has called his people to be God's people and therefore God's transforming agents within society. Okay, just in case I've lost you along the way, Here's what we've covered so far. We start by praying. We start by faithfully praying for God to be with us and for him to give us guidance and direction, right? And in the midst of that, we are praying for peace and direction as we navigate difficult times. We are waiting faithfully because we remember this God we serve. We, we wait anticipating what God will do because we know that he always moves. He doesn't leave us hanging, And finally, if we believe these things, if we believe that God is going to faithfully show up and move, then finally what we're looking for is the moment when it's time to respond. Are you with me? We can pray all day long, and that's great. That's great. Go ahead and pray all day long. But in your praying, may you have the wisdom to see when it's time to respond 
to what God is doing and when God has answered those prayers. Because we don't always, right? This is not always the case. We don't always notice when it's time to maybe stop praying. And when I say that, you know what I mean. I'm not telling you to stop praying in general, but to, to move and to respond to what God is calling us to do. We see that in verse 12 in this story, that doesn't exactly happen. I, like, I hope you kind of let yourself chuckle when you read verse 12, because in verse 12, this story takes an ironic, although comedic, turn. Like, there is, there's both irony and comedy as we read verse 12, because you just picture in this moment, Peter has just miraculously escaped prison. He has miraculously been led out of the city. The doors open themselves, for goodness sake. Like, the miraculous exit, only to be locked out of the home where the church is praying. That's funny. You can laugh at that. That's really funny that this is what happens, that he's miraculously been delivered and let out, and yet he's locked out of the house where the church is praying because they just weren't looking for that to actually happen, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little pessimistic. But this young servant girl, she sees Peter, and she's so excited. In, in Arkansas, we would say, bless her heart. She's so excited that she doesn't even go to open the door. She just goes to tell everyone else. But, oh, that was such a mistake because in this ancient culture, a young servant girl, oh, honey, bless your heart. Shh, no, Peter, that can't be. That can't be Peter. And here's how I read this, right? Like, I read this. Lord, forgive me if this is wrong, but I just read this in a way that it's like, oh, Rhoda, sweetheart, it's not possible that God would actually do what we've been praying for. It's not possible that God would actually release Peter from prison so that he can be back here with us. Now, shh, now go back over here so we can keep praying for the impossible while not actually believing that it's possible. That's how I read that. That's what happened in my mind this week as I read that. Do you see the irony? And maybe this feels somewhat relatable, but, but the irony here is that it's more realistic to believe that this is Peter's angel than Peter until finally it all comes together. Finally, it all comes together, and the people of God, the church, they realize that God has actually, funnily enough, as crazy as it may be, God has actually done what we've asked him to do. He's done the impossible church, isn't it interesting that we can be praying for something, that we can be praying and believing for something, and then something good and holy aligns with those prayers, and yet we completely miss when God has actually met and answered those prayers. Has that ever happened to you before? Because it definitely has happened to me. I've had, I laugh because it, it's, it hits close to home, right? Because I've had those moments where I'm so in awe at what God has done. And yet in the, deep down in my heart, I'm like, of course, of course, this is who he is. But it can also be challenging if, if the church, especially the churches, we're seeking God's guidance and direction and, and vision. It can be challenging if we don't know when it's time to stop praying and to start doing and to start responding. Author Sky Jatani puts it like this. He says, we must not let our devotion 
prevent us from recognizing God's action, right? We will still pray. I'm going to say it again, just so you don't take away this morning that the pastor told you to stop praying, because we're still going to pray, but then there's a time when it, there's a moment when, that comes when it's time to recognize what God is doing and how he's answering that prayer. In other words, there's a time for prayer, but then there's a time for action. There's a time to cry out to God, and then there's a time to claim his victory. There's a time to seek his intervention, and then a time to accept his answer. There's a time to ask for his wisdom, and then there's a time to simply obey his command. There's a time to be on our knees, and then there's a time to get up and open the door. Because there he is. He's done it again, and he will do it again. So as I invite the praise team to come back up, we're not quite done with this yet. I'm going to invite them to come back up, but we're going to continue to unpack this. But, but we're going to pause in this moment. I'm going to remind you again that the call today is to pray. The call today is to pray. That's what we've been doing over these past several weeks. We are, I hope all of us are, intentionally and faithfully praying as we seek God's guidance and vision, direction, But while we pray and while we wait, we trust that God will meet our needs and that God will move in because he always does. And while we pray and while we wait, church, may we have the wisdom to know when it's time to obey and respond to that which God is calling us to. So that's the prayer this morning. So, so pray with me. God, we, we pause in this moment. God, we pause in this moment and we look to you. God, we, we look to you and we seek your wisdom and your direction. But God, may we not pat ourselves on the back and feel all good about ourselves because we've simply prayed. Because we did the act of praying, prayer is good and it's what you've called us to do. But God, may we also have the wisdom and the supernatural vision to see when you've called us to get up off of our knees and to open the door and to see what you are doing and to see the ways that you are meeting our needs and answering those prayers. God, this morning, would you just draw near and help us, Lord, to continue to come together in prayer. But God, would you help us to see the ways that you are moving, the ways that you are drawing near and answering those prayers. God, help us to see what it looks like to open the door and move. Lord, just continue to help us with these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
seated. Well, I told you we weren't done unpacking this yet, and I wanted to pause and to be open to to God's voice as he helps us to know what this looks like in our lives. Practically, what does it look like? And this is just one of the ways, okay, hear that, but this is just one of the ways that God is, is moving and calling his people to respond. You guys can definitely have a seat. Sorry, I don't want to leave you standing up here forever. <laughs> one of the ways that God is calling his people to respond is through the loving care for orphans and children with no home. And, and I just have to say this morning as we, as we pause and as we recognize this overwhelming need on, on Restore Sunday, I just have to say that it's almost as ironic as Peter standing outside the gate of the home of the church where he was miraculously delivered without anyone realizing it. Almost as ironic as our prayer for God to move in the midst of, of, of this world and everything that's going wrong, and yet there's this incredible need that exists in our own backyard, and a lot of times we are too busy to recognize it, right? It, it's an incredible irony that, that one of the clearest commands in Scripture, James tells us, right? James tells us that that this is what it looks like to be the people of God, to love and care for orphans and widows, And so if scripture shows us what this looks like, why does it seem like sometimes that's rarely the concern of the church, the the church, not just our church, but the church? If we pray for God to move and if we pray for God to do something big and life-changing and overlook all of these vulnerable children that are all around us, are we at risk of missing someone's answer to prayer? Are we at risk of completely missing what God is doing and how he's responding? So it's important then to have Sundays like today where we recognize and highlight the importance of supporting ministries like Restore Network. And and as we pause and intentionally open ourselves up to the ways that God might be calling some of us here to respond. And, and hear me, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge that, that I think we're called to respond beyond financially supporting these ministries. I'm not going to tell you not to give to Restore, but that focus was a few months ago at our banquet. And so I'm kind of asking you to push yourself beyond contributing financially and to really open yourself up to how God might be calling you to respond in other ways. And so this morning in our partnership with Restore Network, we told them that we would, we would highlight once again all of the ways that you can continue to support Restore. Okay, so, so they're going to help us out with some slides for you to follow along. We just said it, you can give financially. The first way is certainly to give financially. I'm not telling you not to, but that's not one we're going to focus too much on because we just did that not too long ago, and so we're moving beyond that. And the second way that you can help and support the work of Restore Network if we actually want to care for these children, right, and respond to to the cries and the call to serve these children and these families. Another way you can do that is to volunteer for a Restore Network family event. 
Restore Network works hard all throughout the year to provide uh, fun events and parties for the kids and families that are involved in Restore. They have the back-to-school bash uh, right before school starts. They have uh, parents' night out. They have Christmas parties, and then they have monthly connect groups where, where foster families can come together for support and connection. And these events aren't possible without people being willing to show up and help to make sure that, that everything is covered for each and every event, because they don't do these on a small scale. They do these big, because these kids deserve that, right? They deserve something big, and so that's what Restore does, but they can't do that without help. So that's another way that you can help. The third way that you can help and get involved in what Restore is doing is you can sign up to prepare um, and deliver a meal to families as they take in new kids. Because imagine this, that... That you have a kid who, who is placed in a family, they're placed with a family, and for this child, their world has just been flipped upside down, right? And they're having to go into the home of these strangers, these loving, caring strangers, but to the child, these are strangers. And imagine going into that home and then just kind of sitting on the couch while the parents scramble to find something to make for dinner, Right? The, the goal here is that when a family receives a new child, that they don't have to worry about what's for dinner. They can just focus on meeting this child and, and learning his or her story and just connecting with them, making them feel safe and welcome. Right? And so that's not possible without people who are willing to say, hey, I will, I will volunteer to cook and deliver a meal. Or if you don't want to cook, you can have something delivered. You can send a meal. You can have... You can have Uber Eats deliver a meal for you, but, but that's another way that you can help support those families. The fourth way, and this is a given, but it should be said that we should commit to being on our knees in prayer over this crisis because it's a crisis, especially in Illinois. Uh, I don't want to bore you with all the stats. That's going to be another step where you can kind of go and do your own research, but uh, spoiler alert, we fall at the very bottom. We are literally number 50 out of the 50 states when it comes to the foster care crisis. It's the absolute worst in our state. And I think one of the, this is just overwhelming though, but I think one of the stats says that a kid will go through at least four foster homes in the state of Illinois. And so we ought, to, that ought to overwhelm us. That ought to break our hearts, right? Because we know it breaks God's. And so if it does, then we ought to commit to praying over this crisis and for this crisis. The fifth way that you can get involved is just educate. Educate yourselves and become aware of the need in your county. Uh, the sad truth is, is that this kind of happens in the shadows, right? It kind of happens in the background. And if we don't want to, we don't have to pay attention to any of it. And we can just kind of ignore all of it. But the reality is that it's still happening and so I encourage you to kind of go and do your own research. Start with Restore, their website, restorenetwork.org, and just, just become aware of, of what's happening in your own backyard. The sixth way that you can help support Restore is to continue to be aware of when we're collecting items for Restore Network and families. And you guys, I, I feel like I don't even need to say that very much or go into that very much because you guys do a great job with that. Anytime we put a, a bin out in the hallway and we're collecting pajamas or diapers or anything like that, you guys show up and you show out. When we collect gift cards, you guys meet those needs. But, but don't stop 
paying attention and being aware of when we're doing those things because that's a huge help. The seventh way that you can help is to shop for clothes when a child enters into foster care because most children, they come with what they're wearing and that's it. They have nothing else. Families have nothing else except what they can go out and buy for that child the day after they receive that child, which is just not ideal. And so you can actually shop for clothes for for various children when they have entered into a new home so that family actually has something for them and that's one less thing they have to worry and stress about when they're receiving a new child. And the last one is without a doubt the one where I might lose a lot of you and the one that's the most difficult for all of us. And that is being willing to just think about and pray about what it might look like to open up your home to foster children. And I know for a lot of people, that's just not possible. And not all of you are going to be called by God to do that. We'll just acknowledge that. But the best thing that we can do is at least pray about that and ask the Lord, is that something that you would be challenging me to do? Myself included, okay? And so because that is terrifying and overwhelming, and like I said, a lot of you are just like, check, seven things, got it. <laughs> but the eighth one is the most important. It's the one that's, that's going to actually change this crisis and, and meet the needs. And so what we've agreed to do is we've agreed to host an informational meeting here in our church where Rachel Jones will come and she will just share with us what it looks like to just think about this, right? And there is absolutely, this feels like a sales pitch and it shouldn't because it's the complete opposite of a sales pitch. It's literally just trying to learn how we can care for children. That's what this is, right? And so forgive me for for making it sound like a sales pitch, but you kind of have to let people know like there's not gonna be an obligation. There's not gonna be like this awkward moment where she's like, all right, who's gonna foster? Like it's not anything like that. It's simply presenting to you with here's what it looks like to care for these children, right? Giving you the information and then you do what you want with it. Hopefully you'll pray about it. Hopefully you'll be open. But I think we have a slide about that, you guys. We're going to do that on, um, that's going to be June 6th. No, that's the wrong date. It's not Sunday, June 5th. It's actually Monday, June 6th um, from 6 to 8 p.m. So we will correct that with Restore, okay? But So go ahead and write that down, that it's Monday, June 6th. That's going to be here from 6 to 8, and it's just going to be an informational meeting. But if you do want to attend, you can still text that number. You can, you can text FOSTER to 833-309-2721, okay? So church, this is simply just us reminding ourselves that this problem unfortunately does exist and that the church cannot we cannot and should not turn our ourselves away from this problem right we have to at least be aware of what we can do to help and be open to how god might be calling us to respond amen amen all right will you all stand with me this morning Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are loved, and I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you go and look for the ways that he is meeting your needs and answering our prayers this week? You are dismissed. Have a great day.